This is Show Up as a Leader, a show from People Forward Network, helping you maximize your positive impact on the world by becoming your best, fully authentic self. All right, everybody, get ready to sit back and have so many nuggets of wisdom and inspiration and hopefully smiles and cringiness and everything as you listen to this fabulous conversation I had with my dear friend, Rachel Druckenmiller. If you're not familiar with her, I'm not going to tell you too much about her because she shares a lot of her story, but she is the CEO and founder of Unmuted. And that is what she's all about is how do you get unmuted in your life and come alive. And before I get into a couple highlights, just want to invite you and ask you to make sure that you head on over to Podchaser or Apple Podcast and leave a review as well as rate the episode. It would be super, super helpful. They do matter. So going back to Rachel, we talk about how life presents us with invitations and catalysts for getting out of our own way and changing. It's just a question of whether or not we listen to it. We talk about our journey and how we've flip-flop between teacher and student and the messy middle that we have to wade through to become that unmuted version of ourselves, to become that better version of ourselves, and why it matters in our life and why it matters to people around us and how it makes a difference in workplaces and communities. And I just think there's so much normalizing of humanity that happens in this conversation. So if you are at all feeling like, oh my gosh, it's just me, or I'm alone, or no one else struggles with this, hopefully you will walk away from this conversation realizing it's common, it's normal, congratulate yourself on being human, and have some things that you can lean into and try on to help you get out of your own way. It was like 2007 or 2008 when we first met. So it's been quite some time and it's been such a joy to be part of your journey and to watch your journey to go from intern young professional to like your peacock shining and unmuting yourself. And you've just been on this journey and you're so passionate about this whole idea of unmuting yourself. Talk about why you're so passionate about this and how you got to where you are. Because I think there's so many nuggets and gifts in there for people that they can use to do the same in their own way. You've been, as we'll talk about, you know, a really significant part of my journey in a number of ways. And I think about the fact that the thing that is often a source of our pain, the problem that we face or that we approach in our life is often the thing that becomes what we're meant to pursue. And so for me, the reason why being unmuted is so important to me is because I know the pain of what it is to feel muted and silenced often self-imposed. Some people are feel like they're silenced by others through a different number of reasons, right? It might be something related to abuse. It might be something related to someone like literally saying you're too loud, you're too much and getting that message at some point in life that you just need to tone it down and keep it in and be small and don't be extra. Some people get that message like very explicitly. And in other cases, for me as a kid, I was very like reserved and guarded. And growing up, I was a very timid version of who I am now. And I think a lot of that was from the fact that my parents were going through a a rough patch of their marriage when I was little. And you know, when you're five, you just cope in the best way that you can. And for me, the best way to cope was to just be 
compliant and to do what was expected of me and to have friends that behaved and to get good grades and to be impressive to people. And that helped me adjust and adapt to that. But it had a ripple effect on my life in a really negative way because whenever I was having a hard time, whenever I was struggling, whenever I was scared, I didn't feel like the good girl talked about those things. Or if I was angry, if I was sad, no, 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 those are not permitted. And so for most of my life, I just kept those things on lockdown and just decided internally it's not allowed. And I muted my singing voice. My body had so many health issues from the time I was little. I think it was just trying to communicate things to me. And I just, I, I didn't make space for it. And I didn't really feel like I could be open about it. And so I know the pain of even silencing desire of being like, I want to start a business and then sit on it for seven years, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> so there's that. And so all of us mute ourselves in some way. And when I decided to launch my company, I felt like, what is the biggest exclamation point <laughs> I could put on this declaration that I'm going to bet on myself? And for me, it was saying, you know what? Not only am I doing this, I'm doing this in a bold way, the way that I want to, in a way that is fully expressed and, and joyfully alive. And for me, that's what it means to be unmuted. You know, that I love that on so many levels. And it's like, you know, I coach people each and every day that... They've got their own version of, of that. And you can say to them, own your magnificence or step into your greatness. Or, you know, I tell people, stop telling yourself stories that keep you safe and small. But the reality is that to say it and hear it is not the same as going through the messy middle of what it actually takes to believe it and do something. So tell people a little bit about how you waded through the messy middle. You alluded, oh, it took me seven years to to do this. Share a little bit about some of those key points on your journey, because I think that's super impactful. Well, here's the thing that's interesting. People sometimes ask me, like, when did you get unmuted? As if there's one moment. To your point, it's cumulative, right? It's like happens over time. It's a continuum. And the interesting thing is, I think there's certain aspects of our lives where we might feel more muted, and there's other aspects where we don't. You know, So growing up when I was in school, one of the things I always felt unmuted about was because school was a safe place for me. Home wasn't necessarily all, always a place where I felt like I could be myself at school. I kind of knew how it worked. Like, you do a good job. Teachers like you. You can succeed here. You know, it was a clear path to success. And so if I knew an answer to something, I would be the first person to raise my hand. I wouldn't hold back. I wasn't shy about that kind of stuff. And I decided when I was a sophomore that I didn't like. I had a sense, very strong sense of justice from like a very young age or, and fairness. And there was a summer reading program that we had that was just awful. And it made everyone hate reading, which I loved. I grew up loving reading. That was like my source of escape was books. And I thought to myself, everyone complains about this every year. Everyone complains about how like this program sucks and how they get to the end of the summer. We had to read a book a thousand pages long by James Michener about like the land history of the formation of the state of Colorado. And as a 14-year-old, like who's going to really? <laughs> well, that sounds really enlightening. I I'm selling it. I know. And I forget, Centennial, book's called Centennial. Terrible. I mean, it was a great book. He's a fantastic writer, but not for a 14-year-old. And then we'd come back from the summer and we'd be tested on all this stuff. And I was like, and then everyone would read all the cliff notes just so they could pass. And I was like, this is ridiculous. Everybody complained, nobody did anything. So I decided, well, at least I'm going to go for it. I'm going to try something. So even though I was shy socially, and even though I wouldn't even get on a stage and sing in front of people or even audition for the choir at school, I had such a strong sense of the fact that this was unfair and it was in affecting something that was important to me which was reading. And I wrote a proposal to the heads of the English and history departments. And I sat across from them by myself as a sophomore in high school. And I told them why they should change the summer reading program. And I made suggestions specifically on what they should do. <laughs> 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 it 
to modify it. Here are the books you should take off the list. Here's the things you should change. You should give us study guides. You should have a clarity around what we're going to be tested on. So we otherwise enjoy it. And they dropped that book, that really long book off the list very quickly. They modified how they did it. They put study guides out. And I was like, wow, as a 14 year old, my voice matters. Okay. We got to pause there for a second. Like, hold on. First of one, this is a story I haven't heard. So I love this. So if anyone's listening, that is like a teenager. Hello, your voice matters. Okay. Sorry, but holy crap. So here's where I think some of that comes from. My dad was an entrepreneur always. So I grew up in a home where I saw him creating his own reality. He watched Oprah and listened to Tony Robbins tapes all the time. So I lived in this environment of possibility and I was surrounded by this kind of empowered way of thinking and existing. I think that had something to do with it. And the fact that I just felt safe and respected in school by my teachers, not necessarily by my peers, but my, by my teachers I always did. So it didn't feel like a big risk to me. So that was like, when I think of my first unmuted story, like that's it. That is the first one. So it's an example of I feeling muted in other areas and feeling unmuted in one. The second catalyst was studying abroad in college in Spain. The culture was so vibrant and alive and expressive. And I was immersed in it for four months as a 20-year-old. And I came back from that and it was fundamentally different. Like you cannot live in a country like that for four months and not be affected. And so I came back and I had this new gumption, I suppose. And they were doing tryouts for the spring concert for gospel choir. And I was like, mm, I think I'm going to try for that solo. The girl who wouldn't even like try out for an audition in her tiny all girls high school. So I tried out and I got it. And I had a solo every semester for the rest of college. And I was like, okay, that wasn't that scary. Because sometimes we like blow it up to be if I speak up, if I put myself out there, if I express myself in this way, if I share my gift, if I share my art, if I share what I feel, if I share what I think, we make up all the worst case scenarios of what's going to happen. And at that point, I just felt compelled. I was like, you love singing too much to not let yourself try this. Why are you hiding your own source of joy from the world? Because you're so afraid of what people are going to think. Rachel, you love to sing. The worst case scenario is you'll enjoy yourself. <laughs> So what if you don't make it? At least you tried, you know? And so for me, that was another catalyst of, of immersing. When we immerse ourselves in a novel experience, for me, it was studying abroad. It could be anything. When you move to a new place, when you even at work out of a new space, when you, there's even little things like totally changing up your hair, totally changing up a sense of style or working out in a different way or dancing. Do something that you've not done before. And there's something that happens. There's an awakening, a boldness that happens when we engage in a new experience that's a little uncomfortable and a little challenging. And that's what that was for me. It was a, it's a catalyst. Well, I love that. Well, you think about how many different, yeah, catalysts there are. And we have that moment of, you know, as Brene would say, are we stepping into the arena or not? Do I or don't I? And it's like, oh, it feels too scary. And one of the things that she has said over and over that is resonating as you're talking about this is it's human nature to care what people think. But when we're defined by it, we lose our capacity to lead, right? We shrink. We either puff up or, or we shrink and stay small. And it's finding that sacred size where we can show up authentically and have joy. And so I love that because I think that there are so many catalysts that I believe show up in people's lives that we're not always paying attention to, or when they're knocking, we ignore, or, you know, whether it's that gut feeling or that opportunity and we, and we avoid, 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 but they keep coming back up. So it's a question of whether we accept that invitation and we step into that catalyst or not. That's really what it is. It's a, it's accepting an invitation. The door is open. Are you going to walk through it? I mean, that's really what it is. The door's open. You might need to open the door yourself. Somebody might not open it for you. <laughs> you might need to open that door yourself. You might have to kick it down with both feet. <laughs> you might have yeah. to, you know? So it's just been, 
this iteration and so many of us mute our bodies. Our body sends signals and we suppress and we don't give our body a voice. And if we don't give our body a voice long enough, then it might shut down or start acting up or misbehaving because it doesn't feel heard. And that was so much of my experience too, of surgeries and medications and procedures for much of my childhood on my ear, nose and throat, digestive issues, which I connect to muting and silencing myself. It's not lost on me that I had acid reflux for it over a decade, which is like a fire in your belly. And so, so much of it's that component too that we just don't pay attention to. And I started to pay attention to my body and remove certain foods. And I started to notice I felt better. And I've become so much more attuned to these different aspects of my life and these different invitations. And so much of that, one of those led to our like reconnection in 2017. So let's talk about that a little bit. So I know that when we first connected, you reached out to me and was just like, I think it was like an informational interview over the phone or something. And I was like, sure, whatever, right? But yeah, then we reconnected in like 2017, something like that at a conference and you had just gotten the Walcoa Award and we were talking about stuff. And then for me, the pivotal point was, is our friendship and relationship and collegialness, if that's a word, grew. I remember us sitting at a conference and I was in the middle of my immunity to change coaching certification. And I was finishing up with my practice client and we had to have a portfolio client to, to wrap it up. And I just remember we were sitting there talking and I looked at you and I was like, well, here's a random idea. <laughs> Do you want to be my portfolio client and help me finish the certification? I wonder if it would help you. And you talk about a catalyst or a door opening and you're like, Sure. <laughs> little did we know that the, the, the journey began. So talk a little bit about what you learned about yourself in that process and how that has also helped be a catalyst for you finally getting out of your own way and stepping into being an entrepreneur and running your own business. Because that was something that we talked about a lot. You reached out and you did not know what was going on in my life. So this is the crazy thing about invitations, right? We don't always know the invitation that we're giving, we may not realize it's exactly what somebody needs or what somebody wants. And we're just going on an inclination or a stirring. You did not know at the time that I was going through one of the most difficult seasons of my life, which was burnout from a lifetime of being the good girl and just having that catch up with me. And I was totally burned out. Epstein-Barr virus, which is an acute form of mono, was really sick. And you had reached out and said, I'm doing this work. And I was like, I will take anything right now, any help I can get, because whatever I'm doing is clearly not working. So we started this process of immunity to change. I remember we talked about what is your goal or what are you hoping to achieve or accomplish? And I said that I wanted to put myself out there more. I felt like there were certain things I wanted to write or things I wanted to say or things I wanted to share or do more speaking opportunities. I love speaking, but I wasn't pursuing them. And I remember walking through, okay, like, well, what are the things you're doing that are holding you back? So some of the things I was doing were like, I wasn't applying for speaking engagements or I wasn't consistently writing my blog posts or I wasn't taking action to follow my parents' entrepreneurial footsteps and launch a business. And then some of what was behind that was I had been at my employer since I was an intern in 2006 or seven, and I didn't want to appear disloyal or, you know, what if I put something out there and somebody rejects it and they reject me? Could I live with that? There were so many stories I was telling myself about what was going to happen if I did this thing. And then the thing that was pivotal for me that you shifted to was, what's the competing commitment? It was essentially turning those like fears into commitments. It was like, I commit to always being the best. I commit to being the only one. It was like, I don't want to commit to those things. I remember like saying that out loud to you, like, I don't want to commit to those things. I disagree with that. I reject that. <laughs> 
And then we got at, you know, what was the big assumption underneath of it? And for me, it was like the big assumption was if I'm not good enough, then I won't be worthy of love and acceptance. Like I have to be good enough to be loved. It's kind of like the underlying. Essentially, if I'm not the best, then I am not lovable. And by the way, there, I would say, good gosh, of the thousands of people that I've coached, that general gist of a big assumption easily is half the people right? I have to be perfect to be lovable. I have to prove myself that I'm worthy. Like it is insane how normal that narrative is that nobody wants to talk about. And they feel like, but it's the big ugly elephant in the room that is so freaking common. It's ridiculous. It's like if we knew that, right? For whatever reason, for so much of my life, I would never dare talk about that with anybody because I'm like, no, 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 no. The story is this. We can't challenge that narrative. What I've proven myself my whole life is that if I'm impressive and I perform at a certain level and I prove myself to people, then love and acceptance will follow. And love and acceptance were two things that I struggled with for so much of my life, like not fitting with my peers and there's the pain that's inherent and not feeling like you belong in a place. And that desire to be accepted by people was so real, but I wasn't a people pleaser. Like I was okay standing on my own. For instance, if there was peer pressure to do something, I would be content to be the one that didn't do the thing. I think maybe kind of reinforce the message that I didn't belong. So it was almost like I was reinforcing my own narrative of like, of course, I'm not going to do what everybody else expects me to do because I don't fit. So I don't do what they do. So in some ways, it actually, I think, helps me. Well, and here's the thing with that. I think you hit on something really important in that many times those narratives, those stories that we create in childhood in those formative years where it's all about love, acceptance, and belonging, that those narratives keep us safe and serve us well to a point. For some people, it keeps them safe because maybe they live in a difficult neighborhood or a difficult household or whatever. I mean, it helps them navigate and be successful in school because you and I are so much alike in that it was, for me, it was perform, 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 stand out because you're the youngest of five, you get drowned out. So those narratives serve you well to a point. And then we hit a point in our lives where if we take a step back, we realize, but what's the cost? Our body's breaking down, getting sick, or few, what's the cost? It's I'm not living a fulfilled life. It could be we get disconnected from other people, that we ruin relationships because we can't let go of our armor. I mean, there is a cost when we don't look at, we're not eight anymore. We have to stop letting our eight-year-old and 10-year-old self be in the driver's seat. And validate their experience. Like I remember, like I've been in therapy for a year and a half, almost on a weekly basis from PTSD, from my car accident in 2020 of getting hit by a pickup truck and breaking my back. And one of the things that comes up a lot in therapy is, you know, she'll say something like, all right, let's talk to that six-year-old. She's like, how old are you feeling right now? And I'm talking about something and I'll go into a certain voice or a certain posture in my body. And she's a somatic therapist. Anybody listening, if you're stuck in therapy, please look for Google somatic therapist, S-O-M-A-T-I-C. They understand mind-body integration. So she'll look at me and she'll say, you know, I'm noticing a shift here and here. What are you noticing in your body? How old do you feel? And a lot of the times the answer that I give is between five and seven is, that, is how I feel. So what did that five-year-old need to hear? They're not logically thinking, so don't give them a logical response. Yeah, I remember my first immunity to change coach when I was first introduced to that is part of my testing of big assumptions. There was a time where it was the same thing. She's like, oh, when this happens or when you encounter this type of person, you are reverted back to your five, six-year-old self. And that was an eye-opener for me. So I want to switch because... 
we, we have this little thing where then you as a student became the teacher with me. And this is where I, I just want the listeners to know, like this work we do on ourselves, however you go about it, right? Somatic therapy, immunity change coaching, other work, self-work, it's an ongoing journey. And I remember, so you had gone through the work and we were writing our second book. And I know I'd reach out to you several times being in it or writing a blurb. And then again, it was like the spidey sense. I remember I was sitting in a hotel room and I was going to be going back to the Walcoa conference. And I thought, you know, I know Rachel's kind of been like ghosting me, but there's something that says I have to reach out to her. So I'm going to reach out to her again. And then like we started talking, it was like, hey, do you want to do something in my session? And I remember we were sitting there and we were going through the slides and you said something like, Rosie, you have a bunch of slides with stats in it, don't you? And I was like, shit. Yes, I do. <laughs> and you challenged me to like, can we just show up and be human? And whatever it was and tell our story. And it was such a pivotal moment. I'm like, God dang it. Stop being the coach or the teacher. And I, remember I went back to my room. I had like, I don't know, it was like two hours before we were on. And I ripped the whole damn thing apart. And I just minimized it and we showed up and I remember like the room was packed and I'm thankful for you for is it was a reminder to me that I had gotten away from in my quest to build our business and get another book out and blah, 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 and be the person that people go to to mentor in the industry blah, 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 was people connect when we show our humanity because they see themselves in our stories and our humanness. So that was just such a pivotal moment for me. It was sort of like, is, who are you trying to prove yourself to? We know that you're smart. That's great. Now how does this matter? Like speak about this in a way where you're telling stories, which you have that are going to resonate with people. Like, you know, darn well, that people don't want to see a bunch of slides with statistics on them. What I just keep coming back to and what this conversation is regrounding me in is that one, the gift of feedback, like we need to have people in our lives that care enough about us to call us on our crap. Right. And I am so thankful for the people who call me on my crap because guess what? I don't care how much you do this work. We're human and we're going to get in our own way and we're going to screw up. But hopefully we catch ourselves sooner each time. And hopefully we have people in our lives that will help support us and, and lift us and call us to greatness. So talk a little bit now about what you've been doing since you unmuted yourself and kind of the difference that you see it's making and where you're going from here. So the cool thing that happened was I was at conference again back in San Diego. It's like all this stuff comes back to the Walcoa conference. I was back there and there was a guy who was at the bar and somebody told me that he was a speaker. People knew that's what I wanted to do. Like I wanted to ultimately leave my job and speak full time. That's what I wanted to do. And I said, oh, you should go talk to him. So I went over and talked to him. I said, hey, if there's a book you'd recommend for somebody that's getting into the space. And he said, a book called Steal the Show by a guy named Michael Port. And he, he said they have a speaking program. So I got the book. I looked up online. I called them. The pricing was exorbitant. I was like, there's no flipping way. I'm going to do this. And then they happened to have an event, three-day event that was going to be in Philadelphia in October of 2018. So I modified my schedule, asked for forgiveness, not permission. And I went to Philadelphia for two days, really. And I remember sitting in this audience and you said those moments where you have an invitation. And it was almost like this altar call that they did where they invited people to sign up for their speaking program. And it would have required me to essentially clear out my savings account to sign up for this thing, which is a bold move. And I called my husband and I just said, do you trust me? And I felt like, you know, our body, the body keeps the score, right? Like our body sends us signals all the time about things. We, whether or not we pay attention is our choice, but it's like the body sometimes invites us. And I literally felt like my heart was going to beat out of my chest and was compelling me to take action. I signed up for this program and there was something powerful about being in community that can help us unmute ourselves. And so I stepped into this space and I was working on a script. I'd never integrated singing into speaking before ever. I was like, why? 
I'm not a performer. And I was writing a script and I embedded it in there. And, the, and I was like, should I sing when I tell the story about how I found my voice in gospel choir? And the writing coach was like, duh. And I did it. And it was the first time I, I, I had this juxtaposition of being at work and feeling muted and feeling under-recognized, underutilized. And then I'm in this other community of 80 people from around the world that are like, yes, we want more of you. The symbol that I became known as is the peacock. Like that was a symbol I had in this program. And it just lit this spark inside of me that made me realize I have to do this. Like I have to do this. I have to take a step in faith and do this. And so in September of 2019, I left my job to pursue speaking full-time with no formal business plan, with basically a four-month runway of residuals for my previous job. And that's it. And that's all I had. And, and just confidence in myself and the willing to, willingness to bet on myself that I, that I could do it. And it was really exhilarating and also very scary to be looking at my calendar in December of 2019, seeing two speaking engagements in all of 2020 as my only sources of income, as the primary breadwinner in my family. And then I just started to do the work, right? I started to reach out to people. I started to put myself out there. All the thing that I was afraid to do, I put myself out there, I reached out to people and said, hey, do you know anybody that could benefit from this? And I started to build momentum and it felt great. And then COVID. And as you know, any live speaking engagement, which was at the time, 100% of my income was canceled or indefinitely postponed. And I had another panic moment of like, well, what are you going to do? You got to figure this out. What are you going to do? Put yourself out there more. And I had to do it all over again. And I... I said yes to free engagements and I just, the areas of focus were resilience and employee engagement and well-being. That I'd been doing that work for 15 years. I was like, Rachel, you are very well positioned. Go after that. And the yeses work, you know, led to more yeses and, and each opportunity led to another opportunity. And I ended up having the best year ever in my business and have had my best years ever since then. And it's been incredible. Today, I was on a call today with a prospect. I said, our CEO follows you on LinkedIn. And one of the things she really loves is that you're a motivational speaker who sings. Like the very thing that I would have like hidden about myself, that I did hide about myself for so long, was the very reason people want to hire me. And I've had people, I mean, trust me, there have been people, it's not for everybody, right? I might be in a session, I've had people comment on an evaluation. Uh, it's kind of weird that she's saying, I don't flipping care. Like, <laughs> I'm going to be weird. You know what I mean? Like at this point, I don't flipping care. And I talk to the client ahead of time and I clear up what I'm going to do, all of that. I'm still professional about it. But I'm like, I'm done hiding this joy and hiding my light. I'm not doing that anymore. When we individually do it, we think we're just hurting us. But now put a bunch of us together in a community, on a team, in a workplace who are all showing up muted, not being our full selves, resentful, crabby, and you wonder why we have the engagement issues we have. You wonder why we have the disconnection and the divisiveness that we have in our society. Like it's not rocket science, but it's messy. It's not a quick check the box and it's not easy to do that work. But God, it's so necessary and powerful. And it makes so much more possible. Like think about what happens when you feel unbridled. Maybe another word for unmuted. Like when you, everyone listening to this, right? Like when you feel fully alive and fully yourself. I mean, it's contagious. I have a little um, art piece of art, like in my first floor of my house that says, has a butterfly on it, which was my like motif for a long time before the peacock. And it, on it, it says, allow the unfolding. And that's what this has been. This has been like just allowing the unfolding. Over time, gradually, I've been doing things to unmute aspects of who I am and then putting that declaration out there of like, I am doing my own thing. I'm leaving my 
my stable corporate job and I'm going to do this and I'm going to bet on myself and do it on my terms the way I want to in, a, in the way that I think I can best serve. And I'm going to be a little bold about it and I'm not going to apologize for it. Like, fine. We're not for everyone. None of us are for everyone. And that's okay. What we do is we stay true to who we are and find out from a friendship standpoint, from a client standpoint, who are we for? In the last literally four months, I have said no and turned down several could have been lucrative opportunities because you know what? It wasn't going to allow us to honor our values and be who we are. And there was going to be some amount of settling that just didn't feel right. I think we all make that mistake of saying yes to things that we're like, Ugh. we look at it on our calendar and we're like, dread. You've muted something if you've done that. And I think even unmuting like our value. I mean, I'll be on a conversation. Somebody reaches out to me about an opportunity and they'll say what their budget is. And I'll be candidly come back and I'll be like, well, my fee is twice that. You know, I just want to be honest with you. And instead of apologizing about it, I'm, I just own it, you know, and that's been a progression. And that's been, I'm still a work in progress with that, but I'm taking those little steps to declare my value because I know the impact I can have and I can't dilute myself. You know, we so, so often dilute ourselves to not disappoint somebody. <laughs> That's part of what it is. I don't want to disappoint somebody by saying no because I'm telling them their budget's too little or something. Let's get over that. It's just business. Just business. I love it. So I want to shift gears slightly. So we've been talking about this and I know you've done a ton of work, obviously, to unmute yourself. But speaking of the fact that this is human and we all still do this, this is a question I ask every single guest. Rachel, what is a self-limiting story that you still tell yourself from time to time? And when it shows up, what do you do now so that you can move beyond it and still show up as a leader in your life? So one is that like, I need to get there first. <laughs> That's still a thing, like competitive, right? When I look at my strengths finder, it's like achiever, strategic, competitive, futuristic. So much of the time I live in the future. And so that can cause me to operate in a place of scarcity sometimes of like, oh my gosh, but somebody else is already saying that or doing that. I'm just going to be noise. And so being in that state of peace and that sense of resolve of like whatever has been truly meant for me in my life, like launching this business, getting this house getting opportunities to speak in certain places, getting certain recognition, marrying my husband. The things that have been meant for me have all happened. If it's not meant for me, it hasn't happened. Maybe it's a not yet, maybe it's a not ever. But just reminding myself of that, of like, Rachel, look back for the proof in your past of all the times where you got anxious about something was scarce. Hey, maybe it wasn't yet because there was another thing that was coming that you needed to create space for. And if you had gotten that thing you think you wanted, you wouldn't have had the emotional space or capacity for this other thing. So sometimes I need to like talk myself back off the ledge. <laughs> that way it's the reminder that like what is meant for you will not miss you. And what is truly meant for you, if you were like meant to be the person that did that thing, it's going to find its way to you. You can't mess it up. Just be in a position of, of, of receptivity. Take the invitations when they come. Be open. Love it. Truth bomb. Bam. All right. So ready for quick questions. Yeah. Fill in the blank. Living authentically is. I feel like the Dr. Seuss quote, like, like be who you are and say what you feel because those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind. <laughs> that is like my favorite. We have it on our bathroom wall. We have a Dr. Seuss bathroom. That is one of my oh, favorite quotes it. of all time. Yes. Okay. When the world is presenting an opening, but you don't feel like showing up as a leader, what do you do? I talk to a coach. <laughs> I talk to a mentor, I talk to a friend, I seek encouragement. 
externally often. You leverage your community. I love it. What is something people would be surprised to know about you? That I haven't always been this way. Like people that meet me now at this point in my life are like, oh, you've just always been confident and you've always been. <laughs> like, let me introduce you to my six-year-old and eight-year-old and 10 and 13 and 15-year-old self. That version of me is no longer, you know? And, and I think people, you know, when they see somebody as an adult, they're like, oh, you, you've just always been outgoing. What's your favorite go-to movie? I love the movie and I can quote more than any other movie, Office Space. That movie just gets me. And happy Gilmore and Billy Madison and Tommy Boy. All right. So now this next one, unlike any of my other guests, you know you're going to have to sing a snippet. What's your go-to song? Go-to song depends on the setting. If I'm just going to burst out in song randomly and it's going to be related to what we're talking about, this little light of mine. <laughs> or actually, you know what it is? It's a shirt that I have. It's the song This Is Me from The Greatest Showman. I'm not scared to be seen. I make no apologies. This is me. Whoa. Right, I'll end you on that. So like that song, I love that. Oh, that song is like an anthem. Oh, I play it on repeat. I blared. I'm like, oh, yes, the oddities. I love it. Yeah. The Greatest Showman is, is a, a great metaphor for all that's good with humanity. What's something you can't live without? <laughs> well, that's good. Bill will be happy because this is coming out on his birthday. Happy birthday, Bill. <laughs> yeah. That's my first. I'm thinking of all the stuff he's done as we've been moving. I'm like, literally could not. There's your gift, Bill. Uh, something in your ordinary daily life that makes your heart happy. Wordle and hurdle. <laughs> have you played hurdle? I have not played hurdle. It's a song version of wordle. I apologize to anybody who's now going to become addicted to it. It plays like a bar of a song. You have six shots and it gives you up to 30 seconds of a song. Oh, see now that I need because, oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Hurdle. So like the word heard with L-E at the end. So you're welcome, everybody. Oh, you're going to love it. Oh, it's so good. And last but not least, before our closing question, what are you grateful for right now? I'm grateful for my new house because it has a pool and an outdoor pizza oven. And I can't wait to have people over and gather them together and just relax in my backyard oasis. If you could challenge leaders everywhere to practice this one behavior that would create more human workplaces and equip everyone to show up as a leader, what would that be? I would say to start by thinking through which area of their lives are they feeling most muted in? I think for a lot of people, it's their, around their emotional and relational health. They haven't necessarily taken the steps to understand their own nonsense. <laughs> and so I think if you really want to be an effective leader, you've got to start doing the internal work. And so that might mean inviting some hard feedback, going through an immunity to change process, working with a therapist, working with a business coach, and being open and receptive to the things that you're doing that might be getting in the way of your own goodness and might be getting in the way of other people feeling safe to be their unmuted selves. And so I think if we find the courage and confidence to do it once we've done the work, it's so much easier and authentic for us to then invite other people into those spaces because we've done it ourselves. I'm Rosie Ward, and this is Show Up as a Leader. To learn more, head over to peopleforwardnetwork.com and of course, hit that follow button.